Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on the Shorter Catechism where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinoweber. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. I'm tired, Tommy. Why are you so tired? I am tired because I stayed up till about 1 a.m., which is very far past my bedtime. That's very far past my bedtime. My wife went to bed like at 2 a.m. I went to bed a little earlier. You know, I figured since Pennsylvania stopped counting, uh, I, I could stop counting. And so I went to bed. We know nothing. Uh, still in limbo. It's like a purgatory of sorts, which didn't make it into the catechism for some odd reason. Purgatory. Well, there's probably a lot of good reasons, but we'll, but we'll get there. We are continuing our march through the catechism. Last time we looked at justification, which is at the head of our benefits of salvation with Dr. Guy Waters. What a great episode and interview that was with him. We'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But today we are discussing question 34, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Tommy, um, we kind of did this before where we had sort of like a key text that we went to to kind of structure the episode. Where where would you take us today uh, for talking about adoption? To talk As we talk through adoption, one of the, the sweetest and most powerful passages is Romans chapter 8. Uh, and that's where we'll go in Romans chapter 8, particularly in verses 14 through 19, uh, says this, uh, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. For I consider that all sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. So, one, that's a beautiful passage. And and as we talk about the shorter, the Westminster Confession also has given us a sweet passage to, to refer to as well. Mm-hmm. Because question 34, the answer says we have a right to all the privileges, and that prompts the question, what are those privileges? And then the confession, it's only one section. It's, it's, I think it's the shortest chapter in the whole confession, chapter 12 on adoption. But as I read this list, you'll realize that this is uh, there's a lot of layers. It's really multifaceted, the beauty of our adoption and the benefits that we derive from it. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. So you can hear 
a lot of echoes to what Tommy had read in Romans chapter 8. So Westminster also goes back to Romans 8. And then we'll just throw a person out there, a guy named J.I. Packer, who says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And so he, he goes on with this quote, but for us to understand Christianity well, this concept of being adopted by the king of the universe, God Almighty, God our Father, uh, helps us in our worship, helps us in our prayers, helps us how life works well. And so we're just going to walk through these benefits. Yeah, and the benefits, uh, we've got a number of benefits that we are using really Romans chapter 8, 14 to 19 as sort of our guide. And so that's where each of these points comes from. So the first point is that we are freed from fear. The benefits of redemption, the benefits of our redemption and our adoption. Uh, The first is that we are freed from fear. And this comes back up where it says, we who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And that fear that we have, very clearly, um, we feel when we come before God's law. Uh, To kind of illustrate this, Tommy, you abide the speed limit religiously, not one mile per hour over, correct? Correct. Right. Mainly because it saves money on my insurance because State Farm's watching me. Did you put one of those clips in your car? No, I didn't. You have a chip inserted in your arm? In my uh, app on my phone. But I'm not doing that. I'm just slightly, slightly less invasive. Just chick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but for those of us that drive, you know, or have ever driven um, over the speed limit, you know that like wave of panic and fear that overtakes you when you see the red and the blue flashing in your rearview mirror, and you think, "Oh no, I've been speeding. I didn't use my turn signal. I'm toast. I'm, I'm going to get a ticket." Outside of Christ, that's kind of the way that we feel toward God and his law. We know we've broken it. We know that we did wrong, that we can't pay God back. And there is this sense of fear and dread that comes to us when we realize that we're guilty and that we would rightly suffer God's wrath. But the good news is, is that we are freed from fear, that we are God's sons. And um, so we move from this sort of abject fear of God to a filial, familial relation to him. And and this is what Adam and Eve lost in the garden because what was their first, you know, instinct when they fell into sin? They ran and hide. Mhm. Uh, they were, were fearful, you know, I heard you coming and so they ran and hide. Mhm. So what this does is that we no longer have the spirit of fear, rather than running from God, we run to God. And again, going back to pre-fall, you know, they walked with God in the cool of the day, you know, whatever that might look like. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I mean, in, in the scriptures, well, and there's this sense of security. Yeah, you know, there's, and I think a lot of this is going to be surrounded by a concept of having that we're secured because God has secured us in Him, uh, that we're in Christ, and one of those pictures is this of adoption, and so yeah. So, just to round that out, you know, Ephesians 3, 11 through 12, this was according to the eternal, eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, the opposite of fear is boldness and confidence 
And uh, we're going to come back to that because I think that's one of the chief benefits of our adoption is the boldness of access that we have to God, that we don't have to to fear him. There's this reverential, godly, obedient fear, certainly, but uh, rather than fleeing from, we we flee to Christ, we flee to the cross, and and we give no God, God no rest in prayer. So, uh, what's our second point? What's the second benefit we get from adoption? Yeah, the second one is being assured of God's love. So, because of the spirit of adoption, we have uh, this agent of assurance, as it were, that we are assured that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us, and since He He indwells with us, we are insured, assured that God loves us. So, the spirit of adoption, uh, remind me, that's capital S, right, in Romans? Yeah. So, that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really helpful, right? Because if we didn't have the Spirit, obviously, we wouldn't be believers. We, we wouldn't have a regenerated heart. But the way that Paul talks about the Spirit and how he functions is that he functions like a seal. Can you explain that for us, Tommy, how the Holy Spirit works like a seal in our lives? What, what does this sealing language mean for us, this presence of the Spirit? Yeah, uh, I mean, one would, you know, I'm thinking of Ephesians 4.30, where it talks that he is the seal that he has, conf- has confirmed us. Uh, so, we we might have doubting hearts. We might uh, be fearful that we're not good enough. We haven't done our part well enough, but he has sealed us with his seal. So, God's sign of his ownership of us is that he has given us his spirit, uh, and that has locked us in to be his. You know, again, Jesus says, it's way better for me to go so that the Spirit can come. Um, And then, you know, this whole semester with RUF, I've been teaching, preaching through Acts. And a lot of the teaching of Acts is that of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is now within you. Um, I think one commentary commentary I read, you know, kind of made this point. There's, it's one thing to have Christ beside us, but it's a whole nother thing to have Christ in us. Uh, it's way better, and so, uh, so we have the Spirit um, to seals us, to remind us, to to know that that we can't lose the Spirit. He's always with us. He's always for us. Uh, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And because of that, you know that, you know, you know that we get to cry out to Him as our Father mm-hmm. uh, with that assurance. Yeah. So th- that's the agent of our assurance is the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of our adoption. We receive the Holy Spirit, and and he's also this seal, this confirmation, sort of God, we don't really use seals anymore like the wax seals, but you know when God puts his seal upon something, it's his sign of ownership over us and confirming this child's mine and, and will never not be mine. And the manner in which this happens is, as you said, the Spirit in us, or the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, testifying to our hearts and to our spirits. Uh, Romans 8 continues uh, in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this this inner dialogue that we have, this self-talk, we try to talk ourselves out of the kingdom of God all the time. We think that our relationship with God is only as sure or only as strong as our last Bible study, our last prayer session, when was the last time we went to church, and we, we measure 
our eternal security based upon what we do or how we feel, but the Spirit himself helps us when we're weak, helps us when we doubt, and helps us when when we can't even pray. You know, this idea of just groaning, um, just unutterable groanings. We don't even know how to talk to God, but the Spirit acts like a translator, you know? So he, he testifies with us by all the saving work that he kind of works into us. And the result of this assurance, we would say, is what? I would say boldness. Uh, and you kind of see that throughout this passage. You see it throughout the what we refer to the Westminster Confession is that because of this adoption, because of the spirit that's within us, it gives us a posture that's different. Um, you know, we don't have to live in guilt or shame or fear but we live in his love and his grace and his mercy. And because of that, we can we have a posture of boldness. Like my kids know, because I tell them, you can ask me. If you want something, just ask. Uh, you know, be bold. You know, the answer might be yes, no, or, or maybe, or sometime later. But you can be bold that of just just ask, you know. And your kids are bold to ask that because they know that if you tell them no, it's not like you cease to be their father. Yeah. Well, they know because I'll tell them why I'm saying no and why I'm saying yes. And because they know that I love them and I'll take care of them and, and I want what's best. And and sometimes going out to get ice cream is what's best. It's best for you. It's also best for me. And sometimes it's not best at that time. Uh, and I'll tell them why it's not best at that time. And they know because I'm – you know, they've hopefully that's been a regular pattern in their lives that they know when I say no to things they don't want or the things that they do want, they know it's out of their best interests because I think it's out of their best interests. Mm-hmm. You know, this movement from fear to boldness, it's been explained to me. You think of a judge, you know, there's this sort of legal fear that you have of him, what he could do to you if he pronounces guilty. You know, your, your legal standing rides on what this judge thinks of you. And when a justice or a judge, you know, is in their quarters, they retire their quarters, you don't go in there. You don't, you don't just barge into the presence of a judge. But what if the judge has a son or has a daughter? You know, he's not going to turn his child away and say, no, get out of here. You know, you, you, you have the same relation to me as everybody else out in that courtroom. No, there's a special filial love that this child can have for his father. And that the father just, you know, you can picture it, just sitting his child up on his lap and taking the time. And, and that's what God is like for us, because I think for, especially people within the Reformed world for a long time, and we just get overwhelmed by thoughts about God and theology, and we talk about Christ, but we sometimes forget that God loves us better than any earthly father could love his children, but that God really does love us. He's not tolerating us or just saying, ugh get in here. I guess I'll let you into heaven. Like he rejoices over us with, with loud singing, you know? Um, and so for a lot of Christians that struggle with assurance, I think that that's something they need to go back to. How often does the Bible speak of God as father? Well, a lot. I forget. Actually, I had this counted. I mean, it's not Did you really. Yeah. Cause I had it in a sermon because in the old Testament, it's only a handful of times, probably not over five, literally, but it's like 218 times in the new Testament. I I'm, could be wrong. I'll put in the show notes how wrong I am. Um, but there, there's some of that here. 
of that. It's just how that how it kind of changes um, in the in the kind of the story of redemption, going from he loves us so much that he is predestined. So from the very beginning of time, this was the plan for our redemption to go through him being our father to send his one and only son mm-hmm. on our behalf to live for us and to die for us, to redeem us, to bring him back to himself. Um, and that's from the very beginning. You know, it wasn't like, you know, he saw the situation change and he felt bad for us. And he's like, well, I guess I can show pity and do this. No, out of his love for us, while we were his enemies, he died for us. And he died for us and he sent us his one and only spirit to give us that confidence and that assurance. Yeah. And it, it I, I didn't know that the father language is um, doesn't, I mean, I knew it showed up way more prominently in the New Testament than in the Old but isn't that kind of funny, that movement from the transcendence and the awesomeness of God, and then in the incarnation, Christ, and through Christ, God becomes imminent and um, intimate with us. So that movement from you know the transcendence of God to the New Testament, his, his paternal love and his intimacy with his children just becomes all the more pronounced through the ministry of Jesus. So, um, yeah, what, what, what's the third... Um, benefit that we get from adoption, Tommy? We become inheritors. We inherit the very blessings of God. And I would, I would say the full orb of all that. Uh, we don't earn anything. We inherit. We receive. We Well, you've got Tim Keller. There, yeah, right? Tim Keller t- said this. He said, the, the image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act by, by the Father. You don't win a father. You don't negotiate a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the father and the very expensive and costly only for him. There is nothing the son does to win or earn the status. It is simply received. Uh, and that's what we get. We are, we, as we become the daughter or the son of the king, we we get all those rights and privileges. We get all the inheritance. We get as well as this kind of already, but not yet reality is that we're we're in, and we get benefits of that of being part of the family of God, being part of the church, uh, getting uh, the Lord's Supper as a kind of a foretaste of this grander meal that is to come at the the wedding feast of the Lamb. You know, and so there's just so much that we get now, and how much more that's kind of leading us for that we will get in the uh, at the at the resurrection. Yeah, and our catechism even reflects what you just talked about, this already and not yet aspect of our blessings that we partake of both in this life and that which is to come. We have two separate questions. I think it's questions 37 and 38. What do believers partake of or the benefits at their death and then in the resurrection, right? Yeah. So there, there's this already and not yet. And I, I love the benefits that you described there. We get the Lord's Supper, we get preaching, we get the fellowship of the church. And then in addition, you know, with the Westminster Confession, chapter 12 on this, it tells us that we're never cast off, that we are pitied, that as Psalm 103 says, God knows our weakness, he He sympathizes with us, he knows that we're dust, that we're protected, God is our ever-present refuge, our strength, our hiding place, you think of the Psalms. But then we're also provided for, that that's a present blessing, that my daily bread is given to me by my father, that he supplies for my needs. He clothes me and um, takes care of me. So the blessings that we have right now are fantastic. And so part of our kingdom inheritance is enjoyed now, 
but there are more that are forthcoming. But life here below is by no means easy. So just because we receive blessings doesn't mean that everything that we have of being adopted is that we are comforted when we suffer. Um, and Romans 8.17 brings this out. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So there's the inheritance idea. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this manner of suffering, Christians, I think it's very clear, goes without saying Christians are subject to suffering in this life. And what types of suffering are we subject to, Tommy? Uh, I would say first the kind of reproach from the world. You know, First Peter, I guess, comes to my mind, chapter 4. Beloved, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Uh, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yeah, so it's we, we really shouldn't be surprised by suffering. It's not anything new, but we should be encouraged that the sufferings that we suffer in this life, and these are not talking about, we'll come to sin, which is the second you know, type of suffering in this world, but what it says, suffering for the sake of Christ. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess two things are coming to mind on this particular, and there's sufferings, kind of what you're pointing out there. So there's the sufferings because we are part of God's family, you know, mm -hmm. like people are going to give us a hard time mm -hmm. and, and we're going to see that within our culture and uh, maybe at the workplace or even within our own family. However, there is another piece of suffering that's just, I would call results of the fall. You Painful know, suffering yeah. versus the yeah. yeah. So like even like this Saturday, you're having a, uh, a fan, you know a member at your church just passed away, uh, and so Christ, because of his adoption, is with us in that suffering. He's comforting us in the the trials of just the already and not yet the frustrations of the fall, and and you know death. I think is the ultimate frustration of the fall, and that he is with us in that sufferings, but he's also with us. How much more is he also with us since we are in Christ that when we suffer for his namesake, he's also with us? Yeah, that in his namesake, that's the reproach of the world. And that's especially what Peter had in mind and had in view in First Peter 4. He's talking to the persecuted church. So if you're persecuted for the sake of Christ, you share in his sufferings, rejoice. Because if you suffer like Christ, you'll be glorified like Christ. You'll participate in the glory of that awaited him and now awaits you. But additionally, I love that you bring out that idea that you know there is just suffering in this life. There's sickness, there's death, and that's Satan's best shot at us. Satan wants to throw us off track and discourage us and think, well, if I become a Christian, surely I can't suffer. God wants me to have my best life now, and I, suffering doesn't really match with that picture. But suffering the way God uses it, it's actually confirmation because as verse 14 says there, 1 Peter, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. So this is confirmation to us. It's almost like the battle scars or, you know, it's like the scar, as it were, you know, that we, we've had this open heart surgery. We've been regenerated and we've got God's mark upon us. So far from discouraging us, it should encourage us. Well, and, and just again, with that verse, and I'm trying to think of another verse, but 
there is a family likeness to our adoption. You know, just like Christ has suffered, uh, we are also suffering because that's what people do. I mean, that's you do in Christ's family. Uh, you suffer. Uh, you go to the way of the cross so that you can get glory, mm-hmm. in particular God's glory, not yeah. your own. And even in those times, rounding out this uh, point, and I think we'll we'll probably stop here with our time today. Um, you know, this is even when we do sin, our sin is never punished per se. It, it we're never condemned because that's how Romans eight one opens up. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but there is chastisement. But a father chastens those who he loves. Uh, Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, and so we're, we're chastened as by a father and never cast off. The adoption that he has affected for us in our salvation, it, it never goes away. Um, it's just a f- his discipline, if we if we can call it that. And um, we're also kept, right? We're, we're kept and assured that we're going to be participants in that glory, that the glory is going to be revealed to us, as Paul says in Romans. So, um, yeah, I, we've got four points. Do you think we have time for the fifth point? Yeah, because I think it's important. Yes. All right. <laughs> go for it. So, just this whole idea that we are all, we will, because that we're sons and daughters of the King, will be participation in his glory, that we will be revealed. And you saw that in Romans 8, that even creation is is waiting for the the, uh, the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, and so, just as we will participate in that glory, uh, is uh, we will ever be with the Lord, there's everlasting life. And even in the picture of the second coming, it's not this, how I take it in First Thessalonians 4, which I think how the Bible takes it, that it's not this like, you rapture up and you get in these secret places or... I'll use the word rapture up, but in the second coming, we get sent up as Christ is coming to be part of his victory march, to be part of his gloriful, gloriful return, as it were. And, and all that's ours because of we are adopted. Mm-hmm. We are his, his sons in that way. And since our older brother has won, has won it all for us, we get to be part of that celebration for us. Amen. So this was a good episode. We opened up with purgatory, and you closed with rapture. Well, in in the biblical sense. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight, right? Yep. All right. Well, hopefully, you know, you can take away more than one thing from the shorter podcast. So, yeah, well, well, it's it's life-changing. It is very life-changing. So, thank you all. This was a rapturous time with you. Really enjoyed it. Um We have our interview forthcoming. It's going to be released on Thursday with uh, Dr. Nick Wilborn, one of my professors uh, from Greenville Seminary and uh, an expert on the doctrine of adoption. Really good stuff. So hoping to see you then. Until we talk next, keep it short. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace Whereby we are received Into the number And have a right to all the privileges Of the sons of God What 
is adoption Adoption is an act of God's free grace Whereby we are received Into the number And have a right to all the privileges Of the sons of God